Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, 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 we're back, we're black, well, I'm black, we're brown, we're extra brown today, ambition, 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 we got some extra brown in the stew today, right, we have Yaneli Espanol, Espanol, Espinal. Yaneli Espanol, Nanelli, where are you from? Dominicana from Brooklyn. Oh, okay. Oh, right. That's why I said we're extra brown up in here today. Why well, we got a Dominicana? And yes. yes. had it. How do you say Nigeria? Like How does I say it? Oh, I don't know. How do you it's say very Nigeria? phonetic. It's like Nihad. I've heard people say it's like Nihadian. Yeah, Nihadian. Yeah. Right. We got the bones of the stew today. <laughs> Yanelli is a Brooklyn-born ball of energy, as you will see, with an intimate knowledge of financial education, culture, and politics in America. Known as the internet, as Miss Be Helpful. She's a millennial financial educator who started her career as a teacher. And you know, I love that because, you know, teachers unite. And now serves as the director of educational outreach at Next Gen Personal Finance. She is currently on a political roller coaster ride across the country, convincing lawmakers successfully, I might add, to make personal finance a high school graduation requirement. The girl is getting laws passed. Okay, you thought it was only me? Oh, no, no. We're working, working, girl. Yes. Over the last four years, Janelle has been instrumental in working with governors and state legislators to pass legislation that requires personal financial education um, in order to graduate in Florida, in Michigan, in Georgia, in Rhode Island, in North Carolina, and more, I'm sure. And so, honestly, Janelle has been, she's just a... You will see a ball of energy, super smart, and making a huge difference and shift um, as it relates to financial education, but in a way that's super tangible. And so I just love that. And I just we're excited that we have Yanelli here. You can see her on CNBC. Yeah, I think so. Well, welcome, Yanelli. Thank you for coming. Oh, and duh, she's a new author of this amazing book called Mind Your Money. I got it in my hand. If you if you watch this on YouTube, see you would be able to see it. First of all, you better see that Yanelli's wearing this pop of pink. She looks so pretty. Okay, I'm giving gold. <laughs> I'm serving gold, okay? Um, yes. <laughs> her book is Insightful Stories and Strategies to Help You Reach Your Hashtag Money Goals. Welcome to the stew, Yanelli. Thank you so much, girl. I have <laughs> This is wild. A dream come true. I love Aww. you. I love Mandy. I actually got to meet Mandy in person at FinCon. Okay. got you, to meet you in person at the Wealth Building Conference yes. for Black and Latina Women. And yes. just sit, have been in awe of you since like 2015, 2016, and of Mandy since like 2018 when I started mm-hmm. listening to Brown Ambition. So I just, I'm an 
I'm the one that's honored to be on. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you here. So let's get started. Like, so how, so what, first of all, what did you teach before when you said you were, you're a teacher? So what, what yes. grade did you teach? So I was a third grade teacher my first year, fourth grade for the second and third year. And then I pivoted out to uh, wraparound services and nonprofit literacy intervention. Okay. So then how, how did you make it? Cause a lot of teachers sometimes listen or people who just want to pivot. How did you make this pivot from elementary school teacher to, you know, director of what is it? Education? Yes, no, you're right. Education outreach. So what I did was I was kind of thinking like, okay, what are the adjacent skill sets that mm. I could leverage? Right. Because the reality is as a teacher, you have so many Girl. skills. You, you know this, I mean, getting in front of kids and getting them to think that fractions are so exciting. Mm -hmm. You have to sell that. Mm -hmm. So you have sales skills, even though you don't call it sales in the classroom, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. You have communication skills, presentation skills, or communication as well as email written communication. You have the ability to plan long term. You think out, you know, for the whole rest of the scope and sequence for your school year, you're mm -hmm. planning ahead, you know, management skills because you're project managing class trips and all kinds of, you know, events and, and concerts and things. So I just felt like, okay, there are way too many skill sets that I developed in my few years teaching for me to sleep on that and act mm -hmm. like that's not a big deal. So instead of just limiting myself to education, I started thinking, all right, I want to learn about business. I want to mm -hmm. learn about making money. So how do I do that in a way that's still connected to my education skills? And so I actually started working for a private education company first. Right after teaching, I okay. went, uh, became the director of an after school center that did math and reading after school. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I learned how to you know, collect tuition from parents and run mm -hmm. the tuition, run the numbers, pay the bills for the mm -hmm. center and, you know, call people up and remind them, advertise, market the center to get new clients. So a lot of that business stuff came after um, I realized that I could just layer that right on top of the skills I learned in an educational setting. Okay, I love that. We love a pivot. Okay, but I always mm -hmm. say like the bet, like being a teacher, you are prepared for everything. Girl, That's right? Right? You are That's a nurse, right. you're a doctor, you're a parent, you're a caretaker. You know, like on top of that. So if you are a teacher and you're listening, you're like, oh, I don't know. Girl, you are ready for more. Okay. Seriously. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I was talking to this woman who is now a very successful entrepreneur in mm -hmm. our space, financial literacy education. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you know, because I was a teacher, I always think that if I don't want to do my business anymore, like I'm just going to have to go back to being a teacher. Mm -hmm. I was like, what? <laughs> you? What would make you think that the only option you have is going back to the classroom when you literally are an entrepreneur with a successful business yes. who started as a teacher? That's yes. your first step that doesn't mean you circle back that's your first step now mm -hmm. you can move to so many different areas you know so many different lines of work and so I, just, I I'm shocked every time I hear teachers say like they don't know what else to do besides teach I'm like what do you mean you anything have so many skills <laughs> yes really honestly anything yes yes so 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 people always ask me like you know how did you get this law passed you know in the state of New Jersey making financial education mandatory for middle school and I'd be like girl I don't know so no that's not true it's that like I I one of my friends um Angela she actually used to take my class at the United Way that I was teaching at the time she had like a nonprofit, um but she just got to be really well known in Jersey City for her good works and they convinced her to run for assemblywoman um this is maybe like five six years ago and she said okay and the first thing she did was reach out to me and said, I think we should have some sort of financial education law. And I knew New Jersey had something like for high school, but I, from teaching preschool, was like, I want to see something for the babies. So we started to work on it and we ended up getting a law passed for middle school. But if I'm being honest, I did it like I don't know the system. But like, people ask right. all the time, like, you know, I'm just a bill sitting on Capitol Hill, like girl. <laughs> Yes. I don't know. So now we have you who has done it again and again and again and again. So we're going to ask 
the Yanelli. Girl, how do you get these laws passed? Right? So, yes. like I said, I just was like, girl, I knew Angela and we worked together. But, like, what does it actually look like? Because people ask all the time. Someone's listening and they're like, I want this in Texas. I want this in blah, blah, blah. So, so one, how, like, what does your process look like? And then, two, if someone is listening and wants to push it in their state, what can they do? Yes. Okay. Well, first things first, just like you did, you have to get looped in and connected with somebody who is in the political system. Right. Because the reality is most bills that get passed or that, you know, become signed into law came from a bill author, a bill sponsor or or Mm co-authors who are in office. And so for the most part, that's that's where it starts. You have to start connecting with somebody who is going to be the person to champion this issue by way of a clear bill that says this is what has to happen. So tell me the type of people, like senator, governor, like what are like um, in office? Okay. So because we're talking about education, this is not a federal issue. Education in our country is highly localized. It's state by state by state. So it has to be a local official. So it could be a senator or it could be a representative in your state. Does have to be a state person. And and then it could also be others like assembly people, council members. But the reality is the most of those bills that gets that are successfully moved through the process within education have to go through through the education committee okay, and yes. the education committee members are going to be senators on okay. the education committee on the senate side mm-hmm. and representatives who are members of the education committee on the house side yes. so either side of the chamber but you need somebody who's a senator or a rep to say i care so much about education i'm going to introduce this bill and make sure that it gets on the agenda for the next meeting mm-hmm. of the education committee because they have meetings all the time but they don't always re- they don't always visit every bill that gets introduced okay so first, that's first. Like, is, like for example, I knew Assemblywoman Anne v. v. McKnight, but you're right. She then had to find like a co-sponsor who was a senator, right? And then she told me we have to first get through the committee, the education committee. To your point, I remember her telling me that she wanted me to um, to testify, but I couldn't because I was out of I was out of state during that time. Um, but I got to meet with some constituents, you know. Um, and so beforehand, like there were like some uh, superintendents and principals or whatever to sit and talk to them about why I thought this was a really good idea. And so that way they could take it to the committee and say, because at first they were opposed to it. Because like so many educators, we're like, we don't need one more mandate for the school. Another thing. Yes. Another thing. You know, but as a teacher, I knew exactly what they were saying. I was like, sis, I get it. So this is how I envision it being playing out in the classroom. And so at the end, you know, they turned over and we're like, okay. And they were able to take that back to the committee themselves. And so, okay. So then it goes through committee and then it gets voted on by what? By, by the all of the members on the education committee mm-hmm. so then it has to go on both sides so the wh- whichever uh, side of the chamber is started on so let's say it starts in the house committee of education mm-hmm. they are going to have a meeting they're going to put that bill on the agenda they're all going to read through it they're all going to discuss it that some of them are going to nitpick like i don't like that language mm-hmm. i don't like that word i don't like this or that and then they'll give feedback they'll do the vote if it's a majority yes it gets moved over to the next education committee so it will be on the house side if the senate started then it goes over to okay. house if the ho- house started it passes house then it goes to the Senate Education mm-hmm. Committee. Both education committees on both sides of the chamber have to vote majority yes. Once that happens, the bill, where the bill originated, mm-hmm. it ends up going back to that committee again okay. just to final cross the T's and dot the I's and make mm-hmm. sure they like any amendments or changes that were made by the second um, committee that looked at it. Okay. And then if there's one other part of the process, which is a little annoying, but if there's any mention of money, um, appropriations or funds, then it might have to go to another uh, meeting to get mm-hmm. approved by folks who are going to look at that appropriation, who look at that the money part. Sometimes that's the appropriations committee, some, you know, depending on the state. But the folks who deal with like the budgetary items in mm-hmm. a bill, they will have to look at it and see like, well, where's that money coming from? Is this feasible before we go ahead and pass this bill? We need to make sure we have the money. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, when, when I do a lot of this work, I try and make sure that the bills don't really have any funding okay. notes on them because it's really 
not necessary, honestly. Yeah. Most people today in financial education will say, oh, but then we can't buy textbooks. And I, and I would try and tell people, when, what textbook is going to keep up to date with mm -hmm. the constant changes in yeah. money in the world of finance? Like Cash App Venmo didn't exist a couple years yes. ago. Cryptocurrency didn't exist 10 years ago. You print a textbook, you're wasting your money. Yeah. This has really got to be 21st century relevant. Yeah. Tax laws change every few years. Yes. New apps come out. It's got to be online based. Now, you can print things. You can print articles. You can print worksheets and things. But the reality is for this to be relevant and up to date, it has to be online based. Mm -hmm. So an online curriculum is generally going to be best. We really shouldn't be relying on textbooks and workbooks. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is that they'll say, oh, but we need money for that curriculum. There are so many free providers. Mm -hmm. Council for Economic Education and Jumpstart have been in the game for so long. Mm -hmm. Other players like Junior Achievement um, and so many. I mean, we could literally go on and on and on about the amazing free educational resources. Foolproof has resources, um, you know, different federal reserves from local different state reserves mm -hmm. have a bunch of curriculum and NGPF where I work, you know, they also have a huge curriculum for a full semester course for middle school, for high school mm -hmm. and additional units like cryptocurrency basics, um, the history of racism in finance, mm -hmm. entrepreneurship. I mean, you, if you have the time and you want to really develop a comprehensive course, you have everything you need on this website and it is free 99. So okay. when people try to make this argument about the funding part, I'm saying, listen, that's just going to make the process longer and more yeah. difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and and honestly, it's not necessary in, in 2023 and beyond. So then both sides vote. If it goes majority and then the budget is not an issue, then it goes what to the governor's desk? Then it goes to the governor's desk. Okay. And every state is different when it comes to the governor. But the governor has to sign the bill so that it can become law and has to be a wet ink signature. They mm -hmm. have to actually sign. But some states have, you know, special asterisks to that rule. So to be like the governor has to sign it within 14 days or it automatically becomes law. And it's yes. like, oh, so it's some of the opposite. Like, for example, in New Jersey, my the governor at the time, he, well, he ain't my governor, Governor Christie, he said, I'm going to sign, I'm going to sign, I'm going to sign it. He was on his way out, didn't sign it. And so it's the opposite. It gets kicked out. It does not become law. Yes. And so we had to literally start the process again. All over again. Yes. Girl, so you know how this works intimately. But yeah, every state's a little different. Some mm -hmm. states, it'll be like they have 21 days. They have 14 days. If they mm -hmm. don't sign, it becomes law. Or if they don't sign, they have to start the process all mm -hmm. over again. And that happens any step in the process. So let's say you find the the champions, you find the sponsors, the legislators who are going to introduce this bill. And they're going to write it out the way that you know they want it presented. Then they get yes votes in the whole education committee on the House side. Then it moves to the Senate side. And most people say no. OK, well, now the bill's dead. Even though mm -hmm. it passed the first part, it didn't mm -hmm. pass the second part. It might pass the first part, go to the second part, get all yeses in the second uh, chamber, in the second part, and then go back to the first part. And they don't like mm -hmm. one of the amendments that the second education committee made. So now it's dead again. So, so many bills, most bills, the majority of bills every year that get introduced die a silent yes. death. Yes. And so for these bills to be succeeding right now, I mean, it is amazing. It so is. So once the governor signs, it's like a big deal. I know. I have to say, I have to Huge. shout out to like sister girl. Girl, Angela D. McKnight, she has, she's the, one of the most successful law passers in the state of New Jersey. She has gotten so many laws. To your point, it's very difficult because the first, the first iteration of our bill was elementary and middle school, got to the governor's desk. He said he signed it. He left office, did not sign it. Petty, Betty. 
right? But God knows best because look at him now. <laughs> anyway, so it went back to the drawing board. And when we went back to the drawing board, all of a sudden these same people are like, why is elementary school in here? I'm like, it's the same bill as before. No, we don't like that. The kids now are too little. brand new. Yes. And oh. so we actually had to remove the elementary school component and we just got the middle school component. At that point, we were like, let's just do something. And so that's what happened, that we were able to push it through. It did get signed, but we, they made us drop the elementary school part. So Listen, to your point. we get that all the time. Yes. We get people saying, well, we would support this if it included elementary school, middle school, and high school. But since it's only high school, we won't support. I'm like, we have you have to get specific when you're trying to get yeah. something done. It's hard enough to get one level in the education system. You're trying to, you're trying to do too much all yeah. at once. So, I mean, with the work at NGPF, I'll tell you, we came up with five principles. We did a lot of research. We came up with a bunch of reports. We looked at all of the latest data about the effectiveness of financial education. And we mm. looked for the root. What is the one thing that actually makes it effective to changing behaviors, like helping students save more money, get better interest rates on their college loans, mm. you know, understand the FAFSA, know how to get the best rate on their car loan, have really good credit scores when they get into college and beyond. Like what makes those results happen? And the main things that came up from the research was it has to be just in time. So one of the mm. main pieces of research came from this meta-analysis of like 160,000 participants in the study. And the thing that they found was that if you teach them a little too early, it's mm. great for exposure, but not for results. Because what happens is that they lose it, they forget about it. By the time they're actually going to apply it, they're like, wait, what was that stuff we didn't learn about mm -hmm. back when we were in the second, third grade? I don't remember. And so it's great for exposure, but not for results. And similar with middle school, great for exposure, great for preparing them for high school. But when it comes to the results the results really happen right when the students are going to apply the knowledge so if you want yes. them to learn about car insurance do it when they got their driver's license they, they mm. can't get a driver's license until they're 16 years old so it's got to be 16 17 years old which is junior year and senior year in high school so the majority of the legislation that i've championed that the work we do has pushed forward is really legislation that includes junior and senior year having a required full semester class of standalone personal finance none okay. of this business of sharing sharing uh, uh this class with so this part of the class is budgeting and then this part is economics and then that part is mm -hmm. when, no it has to be full semester dedicated to nothing but personal finance topics like that because i love that i just literally took some notes like just in time financial education right when they apply the knowledge that's why like college students is because they're in the thick of it like girl i don't know how to manage you know? <laughs> wait yanelli wait one moment before we continue let's take a break pay some bills and come back because this conversation is getting so good Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, hey, BA fam. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. That's incredible. This is according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
leveraging over 150 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Okay, it's smart. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Just go to Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Brown Ambition. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. All right, BA fam, you know we work hard and we play hard, but when it comes to investing and having your money in the market, you want your money to be working for you. That's exactly what the Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app can help it do. Keeps your money out there working hard and kicking you know what. I love Betterment because it makes it easy for even a beginning investor to figure out how to put their money in the market and set it and forget it and be at peace with that because you know Betterment has got you covered with their automated investment and savings app. Their technology is going to give you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize those returns. All you got to do is visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Security. Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Hey, BA fam, our fellow entrepreneurs and creatives, this message is sponsored by Squarespace. It is the ultimate toolkit for crafting your online presence. With Squarespace, it's really about more than just building a website. It's about shaping your online identity and making your mark. So say goodbye to checkout headaches with Squarespace's flexible payment options. From credit cards to Apple Pay, they've got you covered. And if you live in an eligible country, they offer buy now, pay later options with afterpay and clear pay, which means that your customers have even more ways to purchase your products. So head over to squarespace.com and kickstart your journey with a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, don't forget to use our link squarespace.com slash brown ambition to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Just visit squarespace.com slash brown ambition to get your discount today. Remember your online success story begins with Squarespace. So what are you waiting for? Let's build something extraordinary together. And we're back in Super Brown. So what made you, after doing all this, you're passing these laws, you used to be a teacher, what made you say, I want to write a book? Like, how did that process start for you? Girl, you know, honestly, similar to you, like, there's so many things that you've done for your audience. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, you realize that what they ask you for, and you're like, all right, you know what? I'm going to put this together. Everybody wants me to mentor them. I can't do that. I'm going to put together my mentor, <laughs> Tiffany. Like, I'm going to, you You kind of responded to, like, all this mm -hmm. stuff that's coming to you. And so I would see all these subscriber comments in my YouTube videos. I would get DMs all the time, emails, mm -hmm. and people would be like, do you have a book? Like, what, you know, when's your book coming out? Mm -hmm. You should write a book. You just know so much. And you, you know, you're great at telling stories. You should write this book. And I would always be like, oh, no, no, no. And then eventually I'm like, you know, why not? Why mm -hmm. not put a book out there? It's It wasn't until I saw you and I saw um, 
who else did I see in this space back in like 25? There really weren't very many girls. If I say it was only you, I probably am not lying. <laughs> but there really were not very many women of color, especially not Latina women, mm-hmm. talking about money and financial education. So, you know, I was like, okay, I think it would be valuable for me as a Latina, specifically in a first generation daughter of non-English speaking parents who had to try to navigate the money systems in this country somehow. And, you know, they never had bank accounts. They never had credit cards, debit cards, investment accounts, none of that. So for me to grow up in that environment and be at, to the point where not only did I figure out money for myself and my community, but like helping my family, helping people you know, around me, I figured, I think a book makes sense mm-hmm. for that long lasting impact and that yeah. thing that you can really give to people. And you know, you have so many books, but I think it, it really came from the community saying like, okay, Miss mm-hmm. Be Helpful, when is your Miss Be book coming out? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, all right, I guess I'll, I'll do it. And COVID too, honestly, helped me think about like, can I do this? Do I have the time to do it? And I did mm-hmm. spend a lot of time writing and, and jotting like, okay, the stories that I want to include and how I want my book to be different mm-hmm. and um, and how to make it stand out and, and things like that. So like what? So as a reader of your book, like what are they going to take away? What does make it different? How is it misbe helpful? Yes. Okay. So for me, the biggest thing that I felt was missing from a lot of the books that have been written forever and ever, the classics, you know. And for me, the first book I ever read about money was Women and Money by Susie Orman. Mm-hmm. And I have so much respect for Susie, but she's never going to know what it's like mm-hmm. to, you know, be in a household like the one I grew up in. And that's not her fault. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. So knowing that I can teach similar to how Susie teaches and similar to how so many women in our space teach, mm-hmm. but also have this lived experience, this perspective that that's my secret sauce that's my Mm -hmm. jam that's the thing that most people would think is the achilles heel that's your weakness it's not it's your strength because it makes you unique so for me i was like that's going to be my value prop that's going to be the thing that makes my book really different and so i knew it wasn't just going to be personal finance it had to have my personal stories so i sort of made my book a combination of stories Mm -hmm. and strategies it's the financial stuff that, that all the tried and true you know classic money books teach but also through stories through telling mm-hmm. stories my girl when i was in elementary school i won the new york state storytelling championship contest every year <laughs> i read second grade third grade fourth grade fifth grade yes was, every year i was the winner i would come there and be like who's gonna beat me Not nobody i was the winner every year i would come with my little cocky self and do one year i did a nazi the spider and i mean yes i'm nazi okay yeah, anybody who doesn't know a girl the way these contests work you memorize the book word for word, cover to cover, and you stand up there and the judges are sitting on a panel with mm. the book in front of them no. as you are memorizing, performing the story wow. word for word, making the different voices for the spider and for the bear. And the, and you're performing it like if you're back in the day, like oh in a cave gosh. telling stories. Right. And then they are literally watching you to make sure you know the book word for word yeah. like this, flipping the pages. And um, and then they rate you and they judge you. And the best storyteller gets the trophy. Girl. So, so, you know, I got that. You ain't new to this. You're true to this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, but I love that. I, it's one of the things that I teach all the time, right, to some of my mentees. I'm like, yo, nothing is wasted. You know, nothing is wasted. The fact that you did this when, you know, in elementary school, the fact that you were a teacher, the fact that you, you know, worked on getting these laws passed, you know, all of the, your upbringing, you know, with your family, you being Dominicana, like all of these things come together to create the most amazing moment for where you are now. You are uniquely qualified for to write your uh, mind, your money, you know, and to talk to your audience in a way that I can't reach that someone else can't reach. They need you in this space. 
I love no. that. And that's honestly when when I owned that, because I think for a while, a while I was scared. I'm like, but what's going to make me different, though? Mm-hmm. Like, there's already so many books. Like, behind me in my office, I have so many books written by women. You know, there's so many. We got Chelsea Fagan here. We got your book here. We got um, Ashley. We have uh, Berna. You know, we have. there's so many mm-hmm. books written by women here. Like, I was like, how? I'm just going to add another one to the mix, you know, like, but... At the end of the day, I realized, yes, we need another mm-hmm. one in the mix. We need so many more. Do you think that any of these white men who wrote any of these other books I have up here ever said to themselves, am I going to really add another book about money as another <laughs> white man? They never said that. <laughs> never so why that. do we why do we do that? Right. Mm-hmm. We have this imposter syndrome and these doubts. So I, once I finally owned that and said, yes, yes, I do need to add my story. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like I was compelled and called to do it. So I think for me, I would encourage anybody who feels like, oh, they're not a natural writer or maybe they don't have a book in them. I'm not a natural writer. I'm a natural storyteller, mm-hmm. but I still felt like I had something in me to put in this book. And if you have been thinking about it, but you're not so sure, here's your nudge. Here's your sign. Mm-hmm. Write that so, book. What is one of your favorite stories from the book? So if someone's going to read Mind Your Money and they're like, girl, I love storytelling. Like, what is one of your favorite stories from the book? And like, what do you hope people take away from that story? Yes. Okay, girl, I have so many stories in there. But the one I always uh, tell people about is the one that was the hardest to include, which mm-hmm. was I got caught Stealing when I was, girl, I was a little mess. I was a little mess. I used to but steal too. I, when I was, I was little, a, so when I was like six or seven, I used have. to go to. I used to steal um, comic books until I got caught. And that behind whooping I got after, I said, "Not, not on today, tomorrow, or moving forward." Girl, but you know what? You were six or seven. You were so young. That that's a good age to like learn that like don't do that anymore because you're still so young you know that you get away with it but i listen i work with high school students and college students a lot through the work that we do with high school education advocacy and i meet these teens and a lot of times you know i see the ones that are constantly getting kicked out of school they're constantly mm-hmm. getting dismissed pushed aside because they got in trouble fighting or because they got caught stealing and they're just written off as like the troublesome kids mm-hmm. or like you know and i'm like no i I, I have experienced that. Mm. And I, so I wanted to make sure to include that story. Um, but basically, I was in a Dwayne Reed with my sister and we're walking around and I had, there was at, a, at my church, there was like a Kris Kringle gift swap type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I got my god sister. So she was very much into makeup at that time. I was not, I was like 11 or 12 years old. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to buy her some makeup. So I, I walked into Dwayne Reed. I'm looking at the little lipstick and lip gloss aisle and they're all like eight, nine, $10. I had $4 in my pocket. Aww. I was like, <laughs> I was like, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. I can't do it. The you math know, ain't math. The math ain't math. So I, um, I just thought like I'm just gonna take it. So I slipped it up my my sleeve of my t-shirt. Mm-hmm. So I thought I was so slick. I put it right <laughs> in my sleeve, and I was right under the camera. Like oh I don't. Gosh. I thought I was so slick. I didn't even check around, do any. I just ripped the little barcode off, put it right up my sleeve. And so my sister had no clue. I put it in my book. I'm so sorry, sis, because Tita, she did not have a clue. She really did not know what I was up to. So we were about to walk out and the security guard, it was this big, fat security guard, came up to me. He's like, you think you got tricks up your sleeve? And I was like, huh? Sleeve? What did he know? What does he know? What is, what's going on here? And he grew, he grabbed us. He like put his hand on my back, said, you need to walk this way. And he took us to the back of the three and played the video of me slipping the thing right on my sleeve. I couldn't even deny it. There was nothing I could do. Yeah. And they called my parents. My parents were away and I don't know what they were doing. So they, my godmother had to come and pick me up in her van. She was so disappointed. I was embarrassed because now it's not even my sister and my mom yeah. and dad who knows. My godmother knows. Everybody yeah. knows. So I was so embarrassed. And my parents, I, I always tell everybody, and in the book I wrote that even though that was embarrassing, and yes, I felt shame. And I was like, all right, this is like, this is not really who I am. I need to not be doing this. Mm-hmm. But 
it was really when I saw my mom and dad's faces. Mm. Like they, it was like they wanted to cry. I have not seen my dad cry very many times mm. in my life. And he looked like he was like, how could you? Like we, yeah. as poor as we have always been, he, they, we have never modeled that to yeah. you. We never showed you that stealing is okay. We've never stolen, even when we had yeah. it at the, our roughest. That's not who we are. And yeah. so I just felt so bad. And I was like, in my mind, I just made a decision that I was going to be Little Miss Goody Two Shoes. I was going to do perfectly oh. in school. I was going to, I was going to redeem myself and show them that you know this is not who I am, and yeah. you raised me right type of thing. Yeah. So what's the what's the financial lesson that you learned and that you hope that when people read that lesson in the book? First of all, one, let me just commend you for sharing that because it's not easy to share the things about ourselves, that, you know, the choices we've made. But I mean, we, I know we all like to pretend like we're perfect on IG, girl. Take the filter off. So I just want to commend you for like taking the filter off and sharing that story because no one goes through this life not making mistakes. And then two, what lesson did you learn financially and what financial lesson do you hope to pass on? Yes. Okay, I'm gonna start with the lesson I want to pass on, because I Mm -hmm. think that's the powerful part of this is kind of, uh, you know, what I insinuated earlier was a lot of my work with teenagers, a lot of them are, you know, they get in trouble for things Mm -hmm. like stealing and fighting and things. And again, I think a lot of the adults in their life just write them off as Mm -hmm. these troublemaking kids. And you just bad, you just not, you know, you, you know, good. And I really think that that story hopefully will show first of all i wasn't stealing to just be bad i had no malicious intent i was trying to give a gift at the church to mm-hmm. my god sister like it was, <laughs> not stealing for jesus it was it was stealing from people that needed to give it to the good like i was trying to do good and i just i'm like you first of all you never know why what is going on yeah. with somebody especially younger like teenagers and, and younger mm-hmm. students like you have to lean in rather than dismiss them off, write them off and tell them, oh, you know, you, you're not going to be going to this trip. You're not going to all the we just lead to the consequences of the results. And instead of saying, let's lean in and find out what happened. What was the input? What was going on when you made this decision? What's going on in your life? Like, you know, poverty, first of all, is the number one reason why young people are stealing. Mm-hmm. They they are hungry. They're they don't have what they want. They they're constantly being told no, no, no. So I think that that lesson for other adults whoever you are if you work in an educational setting is especially relevant to you to have some grace because these young kids are dealing with a lot and especially young kids in environments that are you know poverty or near to poverty situations Mm -hmm. we really have to have grace for them what they're going through in their mind especially with social media nowadays Mm -hmm. they see everybody stunting and they don't and they don't have that Mm -hmm. so just be um empathetic Mm -hmm. more to these um you know younger students teenagers especially and then i think for me the real lesson there was like you have to understand that when you're going through your life, making your choices, mm-hmm. everybody else is affected. Mm. Even when you think it's just you. And for me, I thought, my sister don't know. She don't know how to do with it. Mm-hmm. She got, you know, wired all up into that situation yeah. with me. She was in the back room, embarrassed too. She, mm-hmm. Because of my choice that I made with mm-hmm. my little money or lack thereof money, you know, my sister got all caught up in that. And so I just... I want you to think constantly about when you're doing, when you're making your financial decisions and you're making your budget. Yes, it's, money can be a very selfish thing. Like, what am I going to do with my money? But it also has all of these connections to the other people in your life, your parents, mm-hmm. your children, your community, your family. Like, so for me, my money is very, yes, it's like for me, it's personal. I make very decisions based on me and selfish reasons. But honestly, now more than ever in my 30s, I'm like being way more mindful of how mm-hmm. I'm using my money in ways that affect my family, uplift my family, help support them. And in general, thinking beyond myself to my community too. I love that. That's such a great lesson. I love because storytelling, especially for brown people, has been 
one of the core vehicles that we've used to pass down, ta- pass down like our, our heritage, our lessons. Our, so I love that you're literally leaning into like, you know, if you were to lean into the DNA that makes you Dominicana, you would find that storytelling is a critical component to that. You know, so the fact that you brought that forth and mix it with what's now, which is financial education and where you are now, it's just beautiful. And that is what makes you different. What's so beautiful is that you don't have to do anything. The collection of all that you've been and all that you will be is what makes you unique already. You just have to show up and not be afraid to shine. And that's so you right. are shining, girl. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> and and this, it sounds like so beautiful and so easy. And it's it's difficult. It's difficult to be authentic, yeah. especially when you feel like you're in a space where you're going to be judged or yeah. where you're the only one like that. Especially me. I mean, when I went off to college, I was the only one. Now, Tiff, early on in um on your podcast on Brown Ambition, you talk a lot about like your upbringing and how Mandy and you had like very different upbringings, mm-hmm. right? And I remember, I don't remember if it was like fifth or sixth episode, but you talked about like you went to middle school and high school with a lot of white students. Yes. I was the opposite. So I went to an elementary school and a middle school where everybody was black. Everybody was, because I grew up in Bushwick. In Bushwick and Brooklyn, it's like everybody is Haitian, Jamaican, Bayesian, Trinidadian. Like I had all the Trinidad, I had all the like (laughs) Caribbean black. (laughs) Yes. Like in Brooklyn, like in Bushwick in the 90s and early 2000s, that's all it was. And then you had Mm. some Dominicans and Puerto Ricans, but really it was predominantly black Caribbeans. Mm. And so that's the cultural experience I had. In my home, it was very much like rice and beans, arroz con pollo, this and that. But when I was in school with my friends, everybody was black. All my girlfriends have always been black. And so it's this interesting mix of black culture and Dominican and Latin culture. But when I got to middle school and even, you know, when I got to high school, it was very similar still, but Mm -hmm. it was a a bigger school. So that's when I started to see, like, for the first time in my life, Mm -hmm. I met a white student, like a, a peer of mine that was white. I had mm. never, the only white people I had ever been exposed to were on television or my teachers, mm. some of my teachers. Um, so I remember to this day, I will never forget. I went up to this little white boy. <laughs> I was 14 years old. It was my fresh, it was first week of freshman year in high school. And I went to, up to him and I said, so you Puerto Rican or Dominican? <laughs> and he, he looked at me, he said, no, I'm, I'm Jewish. And I was like, but like Puerto Rican Jewish? <laughs> girl what are you doing here are you lost <laughs> i was like but you look you just look like you're not black so you're either puerto rican or you're, or you're dominican like i don't understand what do you mean you don't look chinese to me yeah. so you must be puerto rican or dominican he's like no, I'm, I'm jewish like i'm white and i, I didn't understand because i had never met others like you know that were my age so yes. the first time i was exposed to white kids around me was high school so i was already 14 years old so Come on, you already understand the, t- the way I talk, the way I act, the way I walk, like my energy, my Brooklyn energy, like <laughs> it was a combination of the black environment I was in and my Dominican culture. Yes. So fast talking, fast walking, sass, like yes. very much, you know, a specific type of vocabulary even, even the way I walked, right? So then when I got to college, oh, girl, th- that was a culture shock. Okay to be around extremely wealthy and predominantly white. So I went to Brown on a full scholarship. Mm. And girl, I was like plucked out of Brooklyn and Mm -hmm. placed onto this beautiful idyllic campus in Providence, Rhode Island, Mm. like four hours away from home, you know, by myself. 
And that for me was the first time that I really had to decide, like, who, am I going to be my authentic mm. self and be proud of how different I talk, how different I act, how I talk with my hands and I'm so loud. And <laughs> am I going to keep doing that or am I going to assimilate and, mm -hmm. you know, be more like these kids around me so I can fit in and mm -hmm. so that I don't stand out too much and call too much attention to myself. And that I really struggled with that my first, mm. you know, year, two years there until I found others like me. You know, I found my tribe of girls, mm -hmm. my friends and was like, Oh, no. Okay. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. We're, we're here. We're just in much fewer numbers. I love that. So it's like you continue to do that as Miss Be Helpful. You continue to create space for people who might not otherwise have space in this environment of financial education. You know, I love that. So you see how it's all full circle? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Girl, I feel well, like I'm in therapy. You just read my <laughs> <laughs> So if the girls and the guys, if they want to buy Mind Your Money, where can they get it? Yeah, so you can get it at mindyourmoneybook.com. Do you see what I told her? I was waiting. I yeah. said, let me see, let me see, let me see. Y'all, so if you're watching on YouTube, first of all, you see my leveled <laughs> up space here because I've been doing a lot of podcasting, a lot of promoting the book. And Tiff so generously gave me so much of her time. A couple weeks ago, we sat and was just like, all right, girl, you need your space to promote your book. You need to have your site. You need to be talking about, don't be telling people you can buy it wherever they sell books. What does that mean? <laughs> Give them That's what I said. And Tiff leveled me all the way up. First of all, my space behind me is all things. So just and so you can't see I on YouTube, but if you're hearing, she has the Mind Your Money book. Like I told her, I was like blown up on that. You know, she has it blown up beautifully on the wall. So it's like, Al, I see you. When I see you, I see her. Good. Yes. And then I was like, make sure you get that URL. So I love that you have yes. mindyourmoneybook.com. Yes. That's what we talk about. So the girls can yes. know. All right. And so mindyourmoneybook.com. Mind mind okay. They can good. learn about the book there. The, the chapters, the descriptions are there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the links by the book and also um, a free guide that comes with the book, which has so many amazing resources. Love One that. of the things I spent, girl, like I spent hours doing was I went through everybody that I follow that I really trust that I like and admire you know your content Mandy so many creators mm -hmm. and I made a list of over 200 creators mm. in the personal finance space and it's linked in a spreadsheet in the downloadable guide that you just click and follow so you're going to change your whole feed your whole timeline is going to look so different now because you're following educators talking about money and finance and not just you know all the celebrity drama we like that that's cute yes. but really getting the money stuff in so there, all that is on mindyourmoneybook.com Yes, I love it. I'm, I'm on. I'm on the site right now. It's looking real cute. Okay, buy the book, the chapters. Yes, I'm just so proud of you, you Nelly. Honestly, I love that you show up authentically and fully yourself. I love that you bring all of your Brooklyn-ness, Dominicana-ness, like feminine energy. Like I love that you just bring your full self to the table, and then you poured it into your book, Mind Your Money Book. So if you want to lean into financial education in a way that speaks to how you receive information, especially as a person of color, through storytelling and through, so not just stories, but also stories and financial lessons, go head over to mindyourmoneybook.com. And if they want to find you on the socials, where can they do that? Yes, yeah, so you can follow me anywhere at Miss Be Helpful, M-I-S-S-B-E, helpful. Yeah, so you're on Instagram. Are you? Do you TikTok? I do TikTok just a little bit. Um, yeah. TikTok, I need to do better. Y'all need to push me on there to create, to, <laughs> to just post all my Instagram reels on there. But Instagram, Facebook, uh, t Twitter, I'm on TikTok and YouTube, all okay. as Miss Be Helpful. Yes. Well, thank you. Is there anything that we didn't, we missed out on? Anything you want to share with the people before we, before we say bye to you? Oh, I mean, it's, there's so many things going on, girl. The, the one thing I will add is, 
I think that it's so important to be targeting young people about money because mm-hmm. a lot of us, we either avoid it because we're afraid that we don't really know how to bring it up mm-hmm. or we're kind of a little ashamed either because we don't have money and we don't want them to know we don't have money and we're mm-hmm. struggling or because we have so much money and we don't want our kids to feel entitled to that money and so we just kind of don't talk about it. And regardless of your situation, where you are on the spectrum of having access to money, we somehow all end up just not talking about it with these teenagers or with mm-hmm. these kids in our lives. So um, I'm actually hosting a new podcast with Marketplace called Financially Inclined, which is targeting money lessons to live life your own way it's specifically for a teenage audience so if you have a niece a nephew a kid anywhere you know tweens all the way up to teenage years considering college or alternatives to college we're talking about everything we're talking about the basics of stock market we're talking about budgeting we're talking about you know should i get my credit card my first credit card how to buy a first car like all Mm -hmm. these intro things that oftentimes you know they don't really know who to go to to talk about it Mm -hmm. so check that out as well it's called financially inclined Yes, thank you so much, Janelli. Espina, no. Espinal. Espina. Janelli, Espina. What's esta aquí para conmigo? It's my amiga también. I don't know. Anyway, I'm just literally saying like seven Spanish words. Gonna, has anybody ever taken all the clips of you singing on every episode and all your life just put together like a reel of all I your know. songs? Yo, Miss Diobro, who was my Spanish teacher, is literally ashamed of me because, yo, I took Spanish from sixth grade all the way through college. Why is that my Spanish? My sister, meanwhile, Tracy, be like, hola, me llamo Tracy. I'm like, how you know all that? She's like, girl, we took it to the sixth grade. I'm like, I got about three sentences. <laughs> you know, because when you don't use it, you lose it. I you know. know. So, so, you know, we're going to start. I'm going to chart. I'm going to practicar. Yeah, practicar. Mm-hmm. Eso Anytime. Tú, mándame textos, mensajes, y le respondo en español. <laughs> See, I kind of understand. She said, somebody I can text her. She can respond in Spanish. So, oh, okay, look at that. Un poquito. Comprende. Comprendo. Anyway, let me not embarrass myself any further. Thank you so much, Janelle. You were such you. a delight. Um, you could come back anytime. Hey, BA fam, we could not do this show without your support or the support of our team behind the scenes. The Brown Ambition podcast is produced by Imani Crosby and Dennis Stemplinski is our in-house tech guru. I am your co-host, Mandy Woodruff Santos, and we will see y'all next week, BA fam. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.